10 Christian Boundaries for Narcissists. I'm joined today with Father Dave Nix, a great priest, and uh, he's had some really good insights that he shared with me about narcissism, how Christians use narcissism, narcissism in our own life, but really 10 boundaries to protect ourselves from narcissists, from a Christian, from a Catholic, from a Thomistic point of view. Pretty excited about today. Father Dave Nix, welcome. Thanks for having me, Dr. Marshall. Good to, good to see you again. Well, before we get started, let's say a prayer. Uh, do you want to do the Our Father, Hail Mary, or, yeah. or whatever, whatever you like? Sure. We can do both. All right. In nomine Patris, Filii, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Pater Noster, qui es in Celis, Sanctificeta Nomen Tuum, Adveniat Regnum Tuum, Fiat Voluntas Tua, Sicut in Celo et in Terra. Panum Nostrum, Quotidianum, Da Nobis Odie, Et Dimite Nobis, Debita Nostra. Sicut et nos dimittimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos malo. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or prenobis peccatoribus, nunc editor mortis nostre. Amen. In nomi pati sefiri, et spiritus santi. Amen. Amen. All right, so, so what is narcissism? And give us... Um, you know, how's a Christian understanding of understanding this topic? Yeah, so um, let's look at the um, the diagnoses first, because I think we have a tendency to just call anybody in our life who's a jerk. Anyone we disagree with online is automatically a narcissist. You know, we're in the holidays. People just had Thanksgiving. We're approaching Christmas. Um, people call Trump a narcissist. People call you a narcissist. People call me a narcissist. And maybe we are. But just because you don't like somebody doesn't make them a narcissist. And so this is where we have to look at the actual clinical definitions. And just one real quick disclaimer before we jump in is what I'm going to talk about. This does not replace the need to call law enforcement. If your life is in danger, it doesn't um, replace the need for psychology or psychiatry. If, if you or someone in your family needs that this is just the application of the Thomistic virtue of prudence to a very common problem in all of our lives today. Um, so what narcissism is not, again, is just anybody in your life that you think is a jerk. Because I know there's probably a lot of people listening to this, um, thinking of all these different people. But give me like five or 10 minutes of the negative, because we're going to look at the difference between narcissist, psychopath, and sociopath. Um, and this is all kid-friendly. We're actually not going to talk about serial killers and stuff. We're just going to look at real cold cut definitions of these things. And then when I give 10 rules for dealing with narcissists, it's actually also going to be 10 rules for you how not to become a narcissist, for your listeners not to become a narcissist. Because unless you're a saint like John the Baptist or St. Joseph or St. Mary, all of us have some tendency to move in this um, direction. So uh, narcissism is, um, it's actually not an antisocial personality disorder. Only when, see, narcissism is not a personality disorder, but rather a collection of patterns. Narcissistic personality disorder is a disorder. Um, and like I said, the three things that are commonly conflated is uh, sociopath, psychopath, and narcissist. But here's the big nine symptoms for all of those. So everyone should listen. You can just rewind. This next five minutes is going to be a little bit boring. It's going to be sort of drinking from a fire hose. So if people want to come back. Never say that on YouTube, Father. I'm going to say this part's going to be boring. I'm, out. I'm going to go, go scroll on something else. This, this right, next five minutes right. is going to be powerful. It's going to be awesome. 
stick stick with us for the because the ten the top the ten ways to avoid being a narcissist is going to be awesome. Yes. Actually, people are going to be on the edge of their seats because really, what's different between a narcissist and a sociopath actually is extremely fascinating. But it's negative. So I just want to tell people we got we have a lot of good news coming today. But here's the symptoms of all those. Um, if you remember one thing from these symptoms, remember E replaces E. Um, entitlement is replaced or in, where you should have empathy is replaced with entitlement. So just remember E and E. So here's all the symptoms of narcissistic personality disorder. You lack empathy and you have entitlement instead. Um, Insecurity seeks validation. So it's insecure, insecurity-based validation seeking, grandiosity, superficiality, arrogance, lying and manipulating, using exploitation, rage. You lack responsibility and you lack repentance, but sometimes we're gonna talk about this. Some of those three diagnoses can occasionally display shame. And not everybody who's narcissistic has narcissistic personality disorder. It has to be pervasive those above symptoms that i just named those have to be pervasive and there has to be a social handicap in there and this is we're going to talk maybe a little bit later if we have time like why narcissists destroy all their interpersonal relationships but they can climb the corporate ladder and if we really want to go down this right. rabbit hole why yeah. climb the hierarchy uh quite well if you're if you're a narcissist we can talk about that a little bit later but let's just do a quick fire hose of this the overlap on these diagnoses so again, where there should be empathy, there's entitlement. Usually narcissists are uh, validation seeking because they're insecure. You have to remember that they they seem very arrogant and they are, but it's all based in insecurity. And the key is they use lying and manipulation. And I think, you know, if you look at somebody like Hitler, he's this screamer. Everyone knows someone like Hitler's a bad guy because he screams. But what's so comp, why narcissists have so much advance in society is because they are so charming in their lying and manipulation. Um, so what's the difference between a narcissist and a psychopath? Well, narcissists feel no guilt, but they might occasionally feel some shame, like when they're caught. But psychopath, this is what's so scary about a psychopath is they have neither guilt nor shame. They're so disassociated that they they just display neither of those. That's why they're actually psychopaths actually seem really well put together, but it's because they're able to dissociate. So every psychopath is a narcissist, but not every narcissist is a psychopath. Um, so what's the difference between a narcissist and a sociopath? Well, a narcissist manipulates people for their ego, for the narcissist ego. Sociopaths, they manipulate others for pleasure, if you can believe that. They actually enjoy it. Mm. Um, now, all three of these. Um, psychopath, sociopath, and uh, may I ask a quick question? Raise my yeah. hand in the classroom. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, psychopath is a self, a soul path, right? And then socio is a societal or a friend. I mean, what, what, what's the origin of these words, and what is it? Yeah, modern psychologists have sort of just. Um, I modern psychologists have taken the um, clinical diagnoses a little bit away from the Latin basis on this okay. stuff. Yeah, because right. like. A sociopath and psychopath, really the only difference, I'm, I think probably people in the comments can name a lot more differences, but in my study, the only real difference um, I can find is that uh, a psychopath has ever, never has any guilt or shame where occasionally a sociopath is. And a sociopath, they're the really quirky people. Like they, they don't hold it together very well in their manipulation and lying and crimes. Um, 
where psychopaths, you know, kind of like Silence of the Lambs, that was sort right. of like the first psychopath movie. He has it together really well. Mm-hmm. You know, he likes classical music. He's right. very well put together. Um, he's somewhat charming. Exactly. Right. Psychopaths, they have a greater ability to dissociate. And so they have less less guilt. But here's the thing. They appear a lot more adjusted than sociopaths. Because they have no guilt, no shame. That's right. No yeah. guilt and no Nothing, shame. It's not bothering them. Now, most psychologists, it's a good question. Most psychologists think that a psychopath is born and a sociopath is made. I disagree with modern psychology on that because this goes back to this whole thing of like, you know, everyone's born with these disorders and then it's, they don't have any responsibility to fix them. But I do agree with them. The symptoms of the behavior is pre, but like when you're showing these symptoms before you're 15 years old versus after 15 years old. Um, And then one more definition, uh, bipolar versus borderline personality disorder. These are often conflated. One of the major differences between bipolar and uh, borderline personality disorder is that bipolar people, they have these mood swings that can last for days to weeks or months. That's why they'll be like manic and won't sleep for like a week and then depressed for weeks where borderline personality disorder people, their cycles through like super sad and super happy can be as quick as minutes to hours. Um, wow. And so one of the common one of the common things for all of these is that all of these these um, things that I just des- described, they all think the world revolves around them, that they have this constant need for validation and really all of this insecurity and need for validation and manipulating others. And again, the reason I've learned so much about this is the people that were accusing me of certain things were committing the very things. And I, I got really fascinated, like what was the psychology behind this? And so their disconnect from reality, they project their feelings on others. And so... This is where we have to realize that these narcissists are very well, they, they manipulate, but they can be very, very charming. And that, that's why we're going to talk about like kind of how to avoid them a little bit later. Okay, great. And then just the three types of narcissists, well, there's a few different types, but the grandiose narcissist, that's, that's closer to how most people think of classic narcissists. They're vain with manipulative behavior. Um, Re- Rebecca Zung, she's got a YouTube channel on this and she puts this really well that diamond, the diamond goal of the narcissist is adulation of themselves. Their coal, like them just seeking like normal supply. Supply is the key word here. The supply for the narcissist is degradation of others. That's the daily sort of the daily supply for the narcissist is, um, degradation of others. That's why we call She calls it the coal uh, supply. The diamond supply is adulation. And then the person I'm getting a lot of this from is Dr. Romani. She's a, a New York based psychologist with a YouTube channel with over like a million, um, subscribers. And she's not Christian. I don't think she's never said anything anti-Christian, but we're going to look at a lot of what she says through the eyes of Christianity. Um, and then malignant narcissists, these are the people that act like psychopaths and they're often very charming and successful, but they're exploitative. Exploitative is a super key word in all of this. And narcissists occasionally have shame, like when they're caught, where, like I said, psychopaths don't. And then the last definition before we get to the uh, the 10 ways to not become a narcissist is covert narcissists. These have they have deep insecurity that often appears as depression, kind of this woe is me stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And so those are the three ones, grandiose, malignant and covert. Um, So that's kind of the bad news. The main thing to remember is where they should have empathy. Um, They have entitlement. There's great insecurity, a lot of arrogance. They're disconnected from reality. 
and their their coal supply, their daily supply is ripping on others. But what they really love is adulation of themselves. Now, a lot of people think of narcissists as vanity. And but does it, it matter really who more... gives them adulation or to just? No. Well, that's a good question. So they target certain people for this supply. And, and that's going to be a huge part of these 10 rules is if you realize that you are one of these people, like a lot of times in families, the truth teller is the scapegoat and that becomes the narcissist target for um, a lot of the manipulation. And we're going to see the only way, unless we're talking about your spouse, the only way to deal with a narcissist is just to cut them out of your lives. Right. It's a sad fact to say on a Catholic podcast, but when you realize you're just, you are their supply for manipulation, the only answer is to cut them out of your life. Yep. Now, narcissism, obviously narcissus goes back to the ancient Greek myth of the young man looking in the water and being infatuated with himself. So it's, it's an ancient, it's a pre-Christian concept that humans have identified in other humans or in themselves. Does Thomas Aquinas, I mean, what, what vices, obviously pride comes in here, but what is the, the nexus of vices that create these psychological categories? So, you know, Father Ripperger, he has a whole channel called uh, Census Traditionis where he outlined what he saw in exorcisms that the psychology of demons was the same as Marxists. And what he found in this is a lot of the symptoms were things like Demons, um, even though demons don't regret their fall, they're rebelling against God. They think they got the short end of the stick. I didn't know that until I heard Father Ripperger's talks. That they, they, so in other words, they're perpetrators who think they're the victims, which is hmm. extremely central to the mind of a narcissist. Um, they, they accuse of the very thing that they're doing. Um, they are manipulative. They play games. And so obviously it says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun, but in some sense, this is actually a really new thing under the sun. Otherwise, Father Ripperger probably wouldn't be making videos saying that that Marxists um, reflect the Marxist psychology reflects the the diabolical. So I think there's always been narcissists, but we've never had it. Just I know this is an overused word. Absolutely systemic in society, you know. Yeah. So to answer your question, I do think it's probably pride um, that it comes down to as far as like the the vices and in St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, but it's, there seems to be something really new, which is why I thought this was worth a podcast when you said, Hey, do you want to come on and talk about something? Nice. Okay. Yeah. All right. That was a good breakdown. I think usually in history, you know, the bad guys were the bad guys, the good guys were the good guys. What, what is so unique about the left right now is as they destroy society and as they destroy the church, they actually think they're the victims, you know, and that's really new. Um, you know, you wrote the book Infiltration. We don't want to tip off the algorithms, but like what happened starting in the 1850s or 60s, we'll call them the stone cutters so we don't trip off the algorithms there. <laughs> yeah. But, this, you know, the stone cutters forward all the way to the left is today. There's there's something new in this level of lying and manipulation that I think we can only see in the psychology of demons, really. Yeah. Which makes you know, sense. The bad guys I mean, the past. they have an intellect and will in the image of God. We have an intellect and will in the image of God. And so I think their vice on the spiritual level, particularly with regard to pride, is exponential. But as humans grow exponentially further from God, they're going to be exponentially more demonic. So that's right. This kind of makes sense.
And it's rewarded in our current society right now because people are disconnected with reality entirely. And that's for two reasons. One, social media and two, identity politics. You know, I think it was on your show, Father Ripperger was talking about um, the principle of evidence that normally you can sit down. Like if you if two people get in an argument, they can sit down and hammer out the evidence. And maybe one person will say, oh, you're right. I'm sorry, because you show this through PQR and X, Y and Z, where if you argue with. Um, a narcissist, that's actually a supply for them. And they will, they will play that and make you feel like you're crazy. Yeah. So, and I think everybody watching has probably experienced that. That's right. And gaslighting is a, it's a way overused term, but we're going to discuss that in number one of 10. Okay. um, So people can understand it's more than just making you feel like you're crazy. It's anytime someone makes you doubt reality that you have evidence for. Yeah. So have you seen that T-shirt that says gaslighting isn't real? You're just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I want it. All right. So are we ready for number one? Are we going to go? Yeah. Go down just, the 10? A quick All right, disclaimer. The 10, I mean, obviously, 10. we as Catholics don't believe in divorce. The church allows for occasional separation for violence that's either psychological or um, physical. So this is more for coworkers, extended family and so-called friends. Um, when I say you have to cut people out, I don't. We're obviously not promoting divorce. Um, but outside of marriage, the main advice that I give when you find that someone's really only manipulating you, not listening to evidence and just using you as supply for adulation or degradation of you is you just, you just have to cut them out of your life. But we'll call we'll talk about a couple. And I might add there, if you're a young person who feels called to marriage, don't marry one. Exactly. And that's, what's so important Taylor is because narcissists are so charming Mm -hmm. that when people get charmed by someone like they can go through the checklist oh this person goes to the latin mass and this person is so nice and you know you go through this stuff and then you're you just it's very easy for people in love to kind of like sideline a bunch of these red flags like huh this person's never apologized it's always my fault every time we have a little argument but he loves me and okay you know and, and you're, you're exactly right. This is one reason I'm doing this, um, these top 10, so people can kind of identify, you know, everyone's so ready for like the Hitler screamer who's a racist. And, and of course, that's horrible. But what people aren't ready for in life or what they're not ready to identify as super evil is the really smiley evil person mm. who's very charming. And that's what the narcissist is. And you're exactly right. This is really geared to people looking at getting married because there's some red flags in here that even good traditional Catholics don't understand at all. Okay. All right. Number one. Okay. So the first is live in reality and be immune from gaslighting. And the first point I want to make on this is that the Christian, he's not called to vengeance and he's not called to be a doormat. And so between these two is shutting down manipulation. Uh, the Christian, let me say that again. The Christian's not called to vengeance. He's not called to be a doormat. And between these two bookends is the fact you are not called to be manipulated. So gaslighting is anytime that someone attempts you to question your reality. Um, now, if you listen to like someone's channel, who I like a lot, Dr. Romani, but because she's secular, she says, own your own truth and your own reality against gaslighting. Well, we Catholics, we don't really believe in your own truth. You know, Thomas Aquinas says that truth is conforming of the intellect to reality. What is that coordination? Well, it's evidence. And because narcissists don't live in reality, which is why they're never going to discuss evidence, they're just going to go for name calling, manipulation, gaslighting. Um, they might point out like little isolated truths that you had wrong, 
So here's the key. If the, if the narcissist can't engage you in real evidence without changing the topic, it's probably time you cut him or her out of your life unless it's a spouse. And you know that old phrase, you're entitled to your own opinions, but not your own facts. So the key here is don't engage their games or manipulation. Uh, Dr. Romani talks about gray rocking someone when it's when you can't go no contact. Like, let's say it's a neighbor, a coworker, someone in the extended family who um, is always like kind of putting you down. And often it's through a passive aggressive way that they put you down. They put you down. They're manipulating you. You can never get the upper hand. They're feeding off of you in this. When you can't get rid of someone who is truly that insecure and acts entitled, has no empathy for you. Um, the best thing to do is to cut them out. But if you can't, she calls it gray rocking and gray rocking is basically when no context, not possible, like a work situation or a neighbor, like I said, an extended family member, you have to be boring and non-defensive. In other words, don't argue with him or her because then that person has no supply. A lot of times people think, well, okay, finally, I finally have the evidence to show that this person manipulating me is wrong. They're going to turn that on you and be like, oh, look who got so super snarky today or look who, you know, they'll never actually look at the evidence. So when you've identified a narcissist, cut them out of your life. If you can't, if, if you if you have to be occasionally with them, then you gray rock them, which is basically you just be super polite. You don't argue with them and you don't get defensive. And that's that's the only way to stop manipulation for people who are truly narcissists that you can't go non, no contact yeah. with. Your response is going to fuel the flame. So just stop pouring fuel. That's why they call it supply. Yeah. Once you realize someone's not going to listen, it's just supply. <clears throat> okay, good. All right. Number okay. Two. Number two is um, works of mercy. Uh, Dr. Romney puts it as empathy, but because we have divine revelation as Catholics, I would say that, um, so let's look at the works of mercy. Feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, harbor the harborless, visit the sick, ransom the captive, bury the dead, instruct the ignorant, counsel the doubtful, admonish sinners, bear wrongs patiently, forgive offenses willingly, comfort the afflicted, pray for the living and the dead. And the reason I think that's so important is, like I said, we live in this um, really such a self-centered world. Social media leads to narcissism. The fact that nobody really knows what reality, I mean, the scandemic, the lockdowns proved that nobody really cared about the evidence. We're all under this giant psyop. The fact that we are so detached from reality right now, if you get out and you get to a soup kitchen or you uh, pray in front of an abortion center, you get to nursing homes or whatever, when you get out of your mind and, and your own selfishness, this is one of the best ways to make sure you don't become a narcissist is the works of mercy. And I'm talking about the old school list, not the revamped miss list of uh, the works right, of mercy. Right, right. So number two is the, to study and do the corporal and spiritual works of mercy and do them. Okay, good. Okay, number three, um, keep a, a few close friends. Keep a few close friends that have proven themselves. Um, one of the amazing things to me is if you look at the lives of like St. Peter Claver or St. John Vianney, both of them affected literally hundreds of thousands of people, but they really only had like two best friends. And so... One of the best ways to push against narcissism, both in your life and anyone that might be manipulating you, is don't overshare your life situations with who you think you're like 20 closest friends. Um, and I've I've done this in my life. I've way overshared, um, and I've realized that's um, it's bad for 
avoiding becoming a narcissist and it's bad for keeping narcissists out of your life. So don't overshare life situations. And again, I admit I've, I failed on this one. I, um, I've, I, I've been, I always put my guard up hmm. when I meet people who I don't know well, and they pour out a lot of interior info. I don't know if that's just me, but to me, I feel like, hmm, whenever yeah. all these emotions pour out from someone I don't know, of course, if they're a friend or family member, but I, I, I feel like, am I being manipulated here? Makes me a little nervous. Is that right? Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the things is if you're a good listener and I know you're in real life and you are, it's totally fine to listen to people because I think sometimes if you meet a good listener, People are so bad at listening to people these days that when they meet a good listener, they do pour their hearts out a lot. So, um, but, but the people listening to this podcast probably should only do that to a few people. Now, if you're a compassionate person and you're a good listener and people pour out their hearts to you, obviously that just means people trust you, Dr. Marshall, then, then obviously, and I'm sure you are, be compassionate to them. Um, but for the people listening to this podcast, yeah, don't go pour out your hearts to just anybody you meet on the streets or just someone you trust on social media. Right. Also narcissists, they very much like to isolate their prey. So surround yourself with good people because there's limited time. So you can only give your time to limited people. Um, and realize that, you know, as you, as you're looking at people's lives, realize that having an education is not the same as virtue. Don't get snowed by rich and successful people. Watch, you know, people say this all the time, but it's true. Watch how they treat the waiter at a restaurant, right? Um, and then if you do find yourself kind of being manipulated by a narcissist, get out of that and surround yourself with good friends and make sure you have hobbies and recreations. Um, even if you can't get rid of like a controlling figure in your life, you can, you can still maintain hobbies, recreations, um, and other friendships. And one of the things is when you start um, finding joy in other people's lives who are not this narcissist, they'll get really jealous and try to say, you know, they'll try to make fun of you or um, downgrade your experience, or whatever. That's where you just have to gray rock them and become so boring that they look for a supply elsewhere outside of you. All right. I like that. Okay, number four is um, have a good sense of humor. Um, have a good sense of humor. Narcissists, they can't do self-deprecatory humor unless it's, unless it's like to throw you off their narcissism, which is rare. So if they try to have self-deprecating humor, the big test is like maybe a week later, um, tease them a little bit. And if they can't take teasing, they're, you know, they might be a narcissist because, again, narcissists can't have self-deprecatory -deprec humor. And I believe the fact that Christ has conquered all suffering is one reason why conservative Christians have a sense of humor about the inconsistencies of life and their own lives, where leftists always take their lives extremely seriously. And that's why they're constantly caught in self-victimization. I mean, this is why the left will never have a Babylon Bee, because you have to be able to see the inconsistencies of life, including your own, right. and understand Christ has conquered all these sufferings to really have a sense of humor about your own life. Um, so if you, you know, two good friends should be able to tease each other. And if you know that the person can't tease each other or be teased rather, that could be a little sign that this person is a narcissist. So I guess what I'm trying to say is sense of humor is a, um, is a great way to make sure you be, never become a narcissist, especially if you can laugh at yourself. Solid. 
All right. Cool. Okay, number five. I kind of want to do uh, like a little self-deprecating humor right now. Just I know. I feel like we should. Clear right? the air. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> just, to, just to prove we're not narcissists. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number five is be confident but not cocky. Um, that comes from Jocko Willing's book, Extreme Ownership. And that's one of the things they like to see in the Navy SEALs. Be confident but not cocky. And again, this is – remember, these are all rules not just to keep narcissists out of your life but to make sure you don't become a narcissist. Because a lot of people will look at someone who maybe has a social media following and say, oh, that person is a narcissist because this person posts something they've done. Well, that might be vainglory. But unless you're dealing with like extreme exploitation, manipulation, constant lying, um, detachment from reality, arrogance um, and, and never, ever having any shame, that's that's not narcissism. That might be vainglory. But Jordan Peterson defines narcissism as confidence without competence. I love that definition. Mm. Confidence without competence. So how do you tell? Well, St. Teresa of Avila, everybody probably knows this definition. St. Teresa of Avila says humility is truth. So if you're good at something, um, then you can talk about it. It doesn't mean you should brag about it because that could definitely lead to pride. Um, but recognizing God has given you gifts and uh, discussing that with people, that doesn't make you a narcissist. Um, when you blow up your ego and you have no competence, that's Jordan Peterson's definition of uh, of narcissism. So you can be confident but not cocky. And this this brings in all these accusations of like toxic masculinity. Anytime – and I'm not going to turn this into like a pro-Trump pro podcast. I do love Trump. But people who say he's a narcissist, no, he's, he's confident. He might have some vainglory. He's bombastic. But – does does he meet the clinical definition of narcissism? Absolutely not. Um, and so, again, this doesn't mean you brag about them, but you should be especially confident in your convictions, not yourself. You know, G.K. Chesterton said we are on the, the quote I want to give from G.K. Chesterton. He says we are on the road to producing a race of men too mentally modest to believe in the multiplication table. We are in danger of seeing philosophers who doubt the law of gravity as being a mere fancy of their own. Scoffers of old time are too proud to be convinced. But these are too humble to be convinced. And so G.K. Chesterton also said that eugenicists, they have hard hearts and soft heads. So to have the opposite is to have a hard heart. Oh, sorry, we're supposed to have a hard head and a soft heart. And what that means is we want confidence in our truth, truthful convictions, not our own egos. And that's another thing that flies in the face of just modern society. Let me say that again. We are called to have really strong confidence in our truthful convictions for which we have evidence, not our own egos, where the university system is telling people the exact opposite right now. You want to be so sure of yourself and so uh, build up your ego to do whatever you want and be whatever you think you are. Um, but all convictions and all evidence is actually equal, totally opposite of a Thomistic view of the world. Right. So. That's one reason, again, I think this is so such a new problem in Christianity um, is because people are told they're not actually supposed to be strong in their convictions, just strong in their egos, where we as Christians are supposed to be the opposite. Right. Solid. Okay. Okay, number six is rejoice in the cross. And this is another thing that narcissists can't do. Our Lord said in Matthew 5.11, Blessed are you and others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So one of the keys here is to stop self-pity. Um, narcissism is the constant out-victimizing of each other, especially in the left today, where we have to realize Jesus is the only innocent victim. He opened not his mouth. 
obviously there's some injustices we have to call law enforcement on, like I said earlier. Um, but as I said, also from Father Ripperger's video, you know, um, the demons are the perpetrators, but they actually make themselves to be the victims. Um, so a huge part of traditional Catholicism, it's obviously to conquer yourself, carry your cross, so you're not ruled by your passions. But narcissists give in to all their passions. They give in to all their needs because they're so self-centered. Um, and so you have to realize your feelings have to stop being the driving force of your behavior. Your your passions, your desires, who you, you know, just your ego has to stop being the the driving force of your behavior. And it has to it has to be Christ, God's glory, and the salvation of souls. Um, and then another part of this is to pray for your enemies because narcissists can't do that. Um, our Lord said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven. For he makes his son rise and rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So again, narcissists can't pray for their enemies because they're so self-centered. That's one of the best ways to make sure you don't become a narcissist is to pray for your enemies. Solid. Good. I, cool. I also, in my own life, that people that have uh, injured me or hurt me, I, uh, I think a priest told me to do this once, but pray for them, but also say aloud or to God, I forgive so-and-so. Yeah. Like to actually make like an act of the will with words on it. It's very powerful. Like you'd be amazed what could come out of you emotionally when you finally say it. That's right. Declare. That's a little bit of number eight. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's good. So seven is live not by lies. I obviously put that one based on uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn's book, Live Not By Lies. And this is really important because as we're going through this culture that believes in identity politics, you really have to say, I'm going to live out the truth and I'm going to pursue the truth no matter the cost. Um, because everyone, meant not everyone, many people are just kind of going into tribalism right now, not based on the truth, but just based on whatever, however they want their conscience ratified. Mm. Um, and I don't think that's ever been such a huge problem as it is now. So truth at, at, at no, no matter the cost, you have to seek the truth. It says in wisdom chapter one, that a lying mouth dis destroys the soul, a lying mouth destroys the soul. So most people today, they lie, but they think they have a good reason for it. And I think central to pretty much every sin is this whole notion that the end justifies the means. The end doesn't justify the means, of course. Um, we have to say the truth or stay silent, and we have to pursue the truth no matter the cost. Um, and I think hopefully this podcast is kind of reaching across the aisle. But the one thing I have to say that's not reaching across the aisle is that, you know, the left in the church and state right now is entirely built on lies. And if you're defending that, then you're going to actually become a liar because George Orwell wrote in 1984, the party told you to reject the evidence of your eyes and ears. It was their final, most essential command. Um, and so when you start, you know, for whatever reason of false obedience or whatever team you want to play for, when you start denying the evidence and not living for the truth, you really become in danger of having the same mentality as these demons, because then the end, um, any, well, the end justifies the means for this. Um, and like I said, Father Father Ripperger's video called "Spiritual Warfare and Com Communism." If people want to look that up, this shows that Marxists. I think it's linked below. Is that the one you sent me? Yeah, good. Yeah, you it's got linked below the video. 
Yeah, check that out in the show notes, everybody, because it shows that Marxists have the same psychology as demons. They manipulate and lie. They accuse of the same things they do. Uh, they think they're the victims for being the perpetrator. Um, and so Matt Walsh said something really great on cancel culture. He said, the secret that they never say out loud is that nobody's truly canceled unless they consent to it and willingly play their assigned role. Mm. Um, and so in, in all of this, one of the things is when the left comes after you and accuses you of all this stuff, you, you just have to stay strong. You know, like I, I got interested in this psychology because I just like I said, I saw people were accusing me of the very things that they had committed. And then I was like, what's behind this psychology? And it turns out it's narcissism. And it's the same way that the demons uh, operate. So between these two bookends of vengeance and doormat is shutting out manipulation. It's totally fine to disagree with people, to argue with people, um, to, to apologize to people. But if you notice that truth doesn't matter to somebody or if you notice truth doesn't matter to you, that's a pretty good sign that there's some narcissistic personality disorder going on. Right. And is that because they know the truth and that makes them feel insecure and so they can't have the truth, so they prefer the, the world of lies? I think that's at the beginning, but I think every lie that you tell, eventually you start to believe those lies itself. Okay. So I think I think at the beginning that's, that's it. Mm -hmm. But if you tell a lie enough times, you actually start to believe it. Right. And is this... This is sort of a meta question I maybe should have asked at the beginning, but does a person become a narcissist through learned behavior, through, I don't think, I, as you said, we're not born this way, mm -hmm. learned behavior, traumatic event, uh, lack of love. I mean, what is the, everyone, we're seeing this more and more in society. What's the yeah. origin of it? I think all of those things can play into it if you're in a family of narcissists and everything else. Um, but ultimately, it really comes from your own sin. And that's what's scary about this is because when you start justifying your own sins and you are unable to repent, that's essentially what leads to, to narcissism. You know, um, there's a whole group of people in the narcissist or anti-narcissist community called narcissist immune people. And one of the things that they've they've noticed about themselves is like they are able to apologize and they are able to have normal relationships. And a lot of these have come from very broken families with a narcissist. So the very fact that even the secular world of anti-narcissists has a whole community of people called narcissist immune persons shows that you're not guaranteed to become a narcissist just because there was one in your family, right. you know? Yeah, definitely. So I would agree with that. People break out of it all the time. But I also know people, father, who are unrepentant big sinners they like women they like getting drunk they like partying and uh they're not gaslighter narcissistic people that's right um and so that's kind of another it's kind of confusing to me that you have these people who are living flagrant lives they're not going to confession but they're generally you know uh easygoing and to be around their their interior life might be in disarray but they're not psychopathic or narcissistic that's right. That that's important to realize. Not everyone who's avoiding repentance is a narcissist. They also have to have on top of that exploitation, denial, no empathy, uh, entitlement, lack of security in their lives. Because you're right. We'll meet people who are like, yeah, I'm a bad Catholic. I I sleep around or whatever. Okay, like that's bad. I hope you go right. to confession. But 
anybody who says they're a bad Catholic probably isn't a narcissist because because <laughs> <laughs> they're admitting right up front that right. they're a bad Catholic, right. you know. So you're exactly right. I sh it's not just lack of repentance. It's constant justification, saying you're doing your things because you're actually a victim. You know, like the old guys who used to, the guys 150 years ago out Wester who would rob trains and stuff. I don't think they said this was all, you know, that they were actually the victims as they robbed trains, you know. Right. <laughs> right. It's kind of a new problem. Yes. Okay. Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah. And then number eight is go to confession and apologize at least once a week. I mean, confession once a month or once a week, maybe once a week for some people. Um, but my view on apologies is this. If you can apologize, well, if you're not apologizing once a week, you're either a saint or you're probably not living as you should. And so I really think that um, trying to make sure that you apologize once a week, that's a really great medicine against narcissism because because narcissists just can never apologize, you know? Um, and most of us mess up like a couple times a week and probably should be apologizing once a week. Yeah. You know, and that just helps families because I, everyone is building up all of these walls around their ego and everything right now because everyone's so afraid. You know, the social media world where you're always expected to put your best foot forward, um, when we were on these lockdowns, I think that that really increased this whole desire for everyone to put their best foot forward. Um, I have a friend on Facebook. He put a picture of his his son's vomit in the uh, sink up on Facebook to show this is normal life. This isn't, you know, this is what my normal life looks like. Right. Not not what's all, always great. And I thought that was really great of him to put put that up. Um, not because I want to see vomit in a sink on Facebook, but because it's like he didn't put his best foot forward. And he said, this is what like my life is, is always about. And making sure that you apologize once a week to someone who's, who's in your life. Don't go make up an apology, but if you actually mess up, be ready to say, I'm sorry once a week, be ready to say, I forgive you. And that's the other thing narcissists can't do. They can't say, I forgive you. So if you, if someone actually has the guts in 2022 to say to you, I'm sorry, say, I forgive you. Mm. Now, if it, if it's a huge, like if someone destroyed your whole life, then the apology has to be commensurate to that. Sometimes there's people who, like if you were abused by somebody, they apologize, you can forgive them, but maybe you're not called to let them back into your life ever. Right. Um, there's definitely boundaries on that. That's uh, it's very, it's explained very well in a book by Allender called Wounded Heart, the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. So there's people in our lives, if they've really hurt us, we can forgive them, but we don't have to let them back in. Um, because if we can't trust them, we can still accept their forgiveness, but we might be called not to let them back into our lives after a big apology and a big forgiveness. Yeah. Good. Okay, number nine. Don't internalize a narcissist's issues. And so one of the things to realize here is that everyone loves words of affection and narcissists need it too, but don't validate the grandiosity in people. Mm. Another big part of this is don't take narcissist garbage personally. That's a huge part of the online community of people who are standing up against narcissists is a lot of times people will look at someone in their life who's doing the self-victimization. They'll look at somebody who's manipulating them and they'll think that all of this stuff is personal. No, it's not. It's actually that person's problem. It's the narcissist problem. 
And you just have to admit that this person's problems are not yours because you can't change them. Maybe your prayers and your fasting can change them, but entering into these arguments that's just going to be supply, it's just, it's not going to help them. And so if, if boundaries are transgressed, don't give them another chance. And this is where we have this whole thing on forgiveness versus reconciliation. You can forgive somebody, but if, if they've broken those boundaries too many times, it's not unchristian to keep them out of the, out of your life. If it would not be smart for your life to trust them again. Right. As a priest, can you answer this question? There was someone in the live chat here and I've, I've lost their name. So I apologize for that. But they said, should we forgive someone even though they don't repent? Is that against justice? What's your take on that? So St. Vincent de Paul says, when you forgive, you remove the poison in your own heart. Isn't that interesting? Not from their heart. When you forgive someone, you remove the poison in your own heart. So the way I've described it on podcasts is forgiveness is a one-way street. Reconciliation is a two-way street. So you do want to forgive someone who hasn't repented in your life, partly to, to free your own heart, um, partly because Jesus has forgiven us a lot more than anything we've ever forgiven. But reconciliation has to be, the apology has to be commensurate to the insult. So like Allender, it's actually a book for adult survivors of child sexual abuse. And he uses the example of like, if your uncle did X, Y, and Z to you when you were growing up, and then he just gives like an apology in passing, that's not a commensurate apology for reconciliation. Allender actually, he's a, he's an evangelical minister or something, but he, he actually lines out like when someone's really ready to own something super destructive they did in your life, they should take you out to a restaurant. This should be a safe place where you have other people that you know. Um, in a public place watching this. Um, and it can't be like, hey, sorry if maybe I looked at you wrong growing up or something. Like it has to be exact and truly sorry and recognizing what they've done. And then you still might have the decision to say, okay, I forgive you, but I still can't trust you in my life again. And that person should really be okay with that. So reconciliation is when you trust somebody again, forgiveness is when you release them from your own heart. Mm -hmm. So I think you should always release the people from your own heart who you have a grudge against through forgiveness, but that doesn't mean you have to let them back into your life through reconciliation. Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. It makes good sense. So yeah, I, I think we should always forgive. I mean, it's in the, our father, uh, yeah. we have to forgive, but you know, if, if someone murdered your child, it doesn't mean they're going to start coming for Thanksgiving. Exactly. Even if there's a forgiveness there. Um, so, and this is where Christian boundaries is so debated right now, because, you know, when a Christian doesn't let someone trample their boundaries, usually the narcissist will, narcissist will say, see, you're not a Christian at all. Hmm. Right. Um, no, I don't, I don't, I'm not required to give time to people lying about me. Yeah. And then number 10 is put God first. Can't believe um, we're at number 10 already. This is fine. I know. We this can take some really questions good. in the live. At, the this 10, is very helpful. A little bit long. We can take you some know, questions. As you go through them, I, I've noticed areas in my life that are narcissistic that I need to repent of. And then I've also been gaining some, like, I can implement this. I can do better with this with people. So thank you for this. I'm, I'm, I myself am benefiting as I listen to you. Yeah, I was listening. Dr. Romani's videos have helped me, even though she's not a Christian. I've noticed patterns in my own life where I'm like, okay, like yes. 
this like most of it I've noticed, as I said earlier, like what my enemies have accused me of. But some of it is, oh, these are things that that I need to work on. Um, in fact, like the oversharing stuff, I made a promise to a buddy three months ago. I get one tweet a day because I was just noticing every thought that I had had to go on Twitter. So I stopped. People can look through my Twitter feed. Two months ago, I went to one tweet a day. That's that's probably not what you're called to. But me as a diocesan hermit, I don't need to do more than one tweet a day, you know. And and so that oversharing was something that I realized, oh, this is a problem in my life. I need to stop that. Yeah. So it's it's good. And that's why these top 10 isn't just like against narcissists in your life, because we'd all be thinking about our aunt or our cousin who we don't like, who we think is a jerk. Right. And again, not everyone you think is a jerk is a narcissist. Um, there's sometimes there's just people, you know, and, you know, good people can get in arguments like I don't think you'd mind me saying this one. This will be a fun teaser for uh, next time you have me on in a few years. But when I had my failed Pacamama incident in Rome, uh, you and I were angry at each other. Before we apologized. Yeah, right. Leading we up. apologized to each other. Yeah. And um, but I mean, when I was in Rome and I had that failed Pacamama incident, you boots on the ground, making sure that I was safe and I wasn't going to get in more trouble. And I mean, that's really how men should disagree with each other is you can be mad at each other, but you still do the right thing at the end of the day. So when I tell that story, I've never told this on like my own podcasts because we have to wait for, uh, you know, who to go to his eternal reward for, reward for all he's done. Yes. But maybe we can uh, have a podcast on in the future. Mm -hmm. You were still doing the right thing in my life to make sure a priest was protected in Rome, even though we had an argument, you know. Right. And so I think that's an important thing is to realize you know, avoiding being a narcissist doesn't mean you always avoid apologies. It doesn't say I'm going to live life with no regrets, all that stuff. Really, you should be transparent, vulnerable to a point, able to apologize to each other. Men, real men should lock horns. You and I have locked horns before. Yeah. And and that's actually strengthened our friendship. Yeah. Father Dave Nix and I have had they, some arguments and disagreed. Yeah. But we're still friends. That's, that's how friends. Yeah. I, I would say it strengthened our friendship when we have those disagreements and you move on. So it's not supposed to be a walk through, um, you know, a garden of roses when you're friends with somebody. You just and that's actually reality. I, I can't think of anyone in my personal life who I haven't had a disagreement, argument. I, not my wife, not my kid. I mean, it's my, my parents. I mean, it's just part of life. And I think the most the most impressive thing when you look around other people is those things happen and yet they always patch things back or That's right. they continue to move forward. Uh, like my wife, Joy and I, I mean, we've had our share of fights or disagreements, whatever, but you know, even this morning we, we went over the last year, all the wins we had and wins we want to make in the next year. And there's a team there. And so, yeah, I think this is, it's something we need yeah, to, so maybe it's been lost. I don't, I don't know. And I'm not saying that I'm great at it because I still, I mean, as I listen to this, I realize all the ways that I fail. And I'm thinking, man, people that know me or my wife or kids listen to this podcast. I'm like, Dad, I hope you listen to number or whatever. You know, because... <laughs> but, you know, if you can say the words, I'm sorry. And if you can say the words, I forgive you. Well, that's you're actually probably not the one I think on the list that I, I think I've probably struggled with the most. Is Which one? Saying I'm sorry. Oh. I think for me, yeah. that's the hardest one because I, I, I don't know why, but that's... Yeah, you said it to me before, so I know you're not in right. You know, but still, I think it, it is. It's a challenge for me. I think that's in the list. I think, man, I really need to to investigate that in my own life. 
But see, the narcissist, like let's say um, a, a husband cheats on a wife. If she were to challenge him and he's a narcissist, he will turn it around and be like, oh, so why were you looking at my phone to see who I was texting to? Right. Right. It's it's never your fault as a narcissist. It's always, um, well, you know what? I had to I had to go talk to her because you are always so suspicious of me. That's why I went over to her house. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I mean, so they're they're really, really incapable of any apology. And it's always your fault with a narcissist. And this is where you mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast. I mean, if you married a narcissist, um, again, the church allows separation for a time for violence or psychological violence. But for people that aren't married yet, like you really have to be on guard about people who are never able to say, I'm sorry, because that's, that is a sign of narcissistic person. It doesn't mean you are, but it's a sign there might be narcissistic personality disorder in there. Yeah. If it's always your fault, Mm. Yeah. And then number 10 is put God first. And um, probably the most fruitful mental prayer I've had this year was John 21. And this is where Peter and Jesus are walking down the beach. And it's pretty much implied that John is behind them because he uses the word in the Greek that Peter turns around. He says, well, what about him? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and then Jesus says, what is it to you? Tiprose you follow me, sumanakulute. And I just keep reading that and going back to that of like of all, I mean, I don't I don't regret the fact I'm involved in church reform. I don't think you should regret the fact you're involved in church reform because you're highlighting an infiltration of total narcissists that have taken over the hierarchy. And we can talk about that a little bit later if you have time. But but really in my own life, when I get real wrapped up in this stuff, ultimately it's like I look at these other people that are in my life, either friends, people making my life hard. And I feel like Peter, like, what about that guy? And Jesus says, what is it to you? You follow me. And so when you put God, I mean, this is where number 10 is probably the most important is you put God first. Um, I've said this on other podcasts. I, my, uh, I was in a parish about six years ago, a couple African nuns were coming through. And one of the African nuns said to me, cast out your nets or cast out into the deep. And I said, how do I do that? And she said, pray a lot and be yourself. And I've said on other podcasts before, this is really the best advice I've ever gotten in my life. Because if you pray a lot, you're not yourself. You're just like a fake pious person. And if you try to be yourself without praying a lot, well, you and I were talking off the air. That's, that's essentially Satan's motto is do what you will. Yeah. But if you pray a lot and you be yourself, that's really a great medicine against ending up in hell and ending up being, um, a narcissist because St. Francis of Assisi said, what you are in God's sight is what you are and nothing else. Or sorry, what you are in his sight is what you are and nothing more. That's St. Francis of Assisi. And so when you realize that your identity comes from having God as your father and the church of all time as your mother, then you don't have to be a people pleaser. You can take the path that's less popular. You, um, you can avoid the narcissist that everybody else has been snowed by. And you have to realize a lot of times when you stand up for yourself or the truth, you often get called difficult. <laughs> and so you have to know, you just have to be that confident that if you're praying and you're being yourself and you're not giving into the lie that everyone else is giving into, um, then you are truly putting God first, you know? Yeah. And, and this is where, um, I mean, I really admire the fact you're admitting some of your faults on this podcast. So I don't, I think I can offset that by a compliment of like, you know, we all know that there is insults against you and me out on the internet and stuff, but really 
I know that what you're doing for church reform is entirely for love of, of Christ and the church. And you've had to power through a lot of name calling. And essentially, when you're able to say, um, at the end of the day, my conscience is clear. I know what I'm hearing from this prelate or this person isn't Catholicism. You just have to have confidence in that. And it doesn't matter if people call you a schismatic or narcissistic or disobedient or whatever. Um, if you are promoting Christ and the church of all time, it doesn't matter what anyone calls you doesn't at matter. all. doesn't what matter. Learned, it doesn't matter. Though yeah. It does. Uh, I'll, I'll share something more personal here. Generally, it doesn't matter to me, but sometimes based on who it is, it does hurt. Yeah. Like that's it's true. just people on Twitter who can, mm -hmm. I don't even care less. You could call me the worst names in the world. You could go leave a comment underneath this video. I, it doesn't mean anything yeah. to me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even blink at it. But if it's if it's some a friend or an inner circle, those things do hurt. Those cut. And that's where you just have to say, okay, can we look at the the evidence? Because, you know, Father Ripperger again, he talked about this principle of evidence. Um, if you can sit down and say, okay, does what you're hearing from Rome square away with Thomas Aquinas or even the Creed or even the Bible? They should be able to show that to you right. over a coffee or a beer or something like that. Not just say, but you're disobedient or but you're schismatic. You're somatic, whatever. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it has to. And that's where a real friend is able to sit down and look at the evidence because Thomas Aquinas teaches that the will has to follow the intellect. Um, and, and this is why it's so important to stave off the narcissist with evidence, not because we just believe in cold cut truth and like emotions don't matter and charity doesn't matter and, and whatever else, but because if the will and the heart is more important than the mind, if the will is called to follow the intellect, then looking at the evidence is so important in a time of identity politics because it really does show where the truth is. And narcissists are never willing to look at the evidence on this stuff. That's why they, you know, if you look at my enemies online, they will, I think you call it the injectione, right? We'll try not to trip the algorithms. Right. They just, it's just name calling, yeah. but they never actually tackle the issues. Yes. And, and so that's how, you know, you're dealing with narcissists is they only know name calling. They're never able to look at the, at the evidence on this stuff. Right. Which is very much our political situation. Exactly. I mean, the very fact that that they, the left can't even admit at this point that mutilating children 10, 12, 16 years, we're not even talking, you know, traditional Latin mass versus a conservative Novus Ordo. We're talking, should you mutilate children is somehow, they, they can't even see that because they painted themselves into the corner of identity politics. Yeah. Well, this is great. So I, there's a lot of questions coming in. Um, I think we kind of covered how does someone become a narcissist? It has to do with insecurity. Mm -hmm. It has to do with entitlement. I, th I bet that's a big part of it. I mean, it you, is. you and I are, are Gen X. Yeah. Um, you know, but we still had like disposable income as teenagers and you know, access to cars. I mean, we had things that our grandparents had no, you know. Yeah. Even in, my, in our time, people started having TVs in every room of their house. I mean, that started happening when we were young. So I think we were entitled. We had so much stuff. But nowadays, I just really feel bad for this Gen Z Zoomer, you know, of which I have children in because it's just everything. They have every, They have heated seats and heated steering wheels. And they have, you know, these young ladies have... 
thousands of young men complimenting yeah. them mm -hmm. all the time. I mean, it's just, there, there's a wave of entitlement. They want their student debt paid for. I mean, on and on and on. It's, that might be the biggest ingredient in our narcissistic time is this entitlement. Because we've had yes. insecure people before. Mm-hmm. And part of this, um, there was a professor who called it the cult of the child, that mm. parents don't have boundaries for their kids. So if they, you know, when people treat one of their kids as this king baby in their house and everything that they say they get, including their own pronouns, they get to choose what their gender is. Right. This is where a lot of this entitlement comes from is what's called the cult of the child, that parents are unable to give any boundaries for kids. I mean, it's been used a long time, so I don't want to bore your listeners with it, but like the Disneyland dad and the best friend mom and stuff like that. Um, when you have not set boundaries for your kids, you really are raising narcissists. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why, again, Dr. Dr. Romani, who I don't think she's Christian, maybe, maybe she forgive me if she is. I've just never heard her say anything Christian or anti-Christian, but she said that the most important thing was for her to raise her kids with empathy because she recognized that narcissists never have that. And that's where I kind of transformed that into the, um, the corporal and the spiritual works of mercy because it gets you out of your mind. I mean, all this entitlement that you are the center of the world and that's what you're on Instagram. That's what you're told in your, in your public schools and everything where when you actually get out of your mind and go work in a soup kitchen or, or a nursing home, nursing homes actually even harder. Um, then it's, it's a really great way to shake you out of your entitlement. Yeah. Well, do you want to touch on narcissism in the church amongst the laity priesthood yeah. as well? Um, I think we saw it, it, I think people recognize it a lot during the pandemic mm -hmm. uh, and the priest saying, well, I don't want to get uh, this disease, so I'm not going to do sacraments anymore. Is that narcissism? Yeah, I think so, because it's selfishness. Yeah. Um, and they were gaslighting everybody who wanted sacraments. Like, well, you want to, you're a super spreader now. It's like, well, maybe <laughs> I just want last rites before I die. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's right. I mean, what we saw in the lockdowns um, was really one of the greatest psychological operations ever, um, where anybody who challenged the narrative was, was told, you're going to kill grandma. Um, don't you care about this person or that? Um, you know, and so g gaslighting again is anytime you're made to doubt your reality, but we as Catholics don't believe in your reality. We believe in reality. Again, the principle of evidence. Um, and this is where I kept hammering on the injection, as you call it, like, let's, let's look at the fact that a guy named Bill Gates wants us to take it. And he's publicly said he wants to reduce the world's population by two to 3 billion people. That's not because father Dave Nix is a prophet. I'm just taking him at his own word. Right. But I got called crazy for that. And, and this is where. Um, I think, I think a lot of the Bishop's weakness was exposed in this because a narcissist is very good at being smiley and manipulating. And it just appears that most of the hierarchy is pretty good Christians because they're just smiley and they don't tackle like big issues, right? They're pretty non-controversial where when they close the churches for a 99.92% survival rate on a flu, it really, it, it really, pun intended, blew off the mask off of the hierarchy yeah. on this stuff to really see that their their egos, their their paychecks, their their pocketbooks were 
uh, ahead of supernatural faith. I'm sorry to put it that way, but I don't I don't understand how you could have supernatural faith and close the church. I mean, do you realize we've we are the Catholic Church. We've never closed the churches through. Um, I heard Jason Jones on your show and Jack Posobiec. The, the Catholic the Catholic Church in China's never closed the churches. The church in the Roman catacombs never did. The bubonic plague, we never closed the churches. The first time we did was for a flu with a 99.92% survival rate. That shows some change in the supernatural faith of the entire hierarchy from where we were 150 years ago. Something changed. It's definitely a sign. Definitely a sign. I'm shocked. I mean, as yeah. you know... I'm not uh, super optimistic on the majority of our hierarchy. I think we have a problem in infiltration. Even I was shocked. Yeah. I think the ambiguity, the ambiguity of Vatican II attracted men who were good at playing off ambiguity because doctrine was replaced by being pastoral. And I think it's super important to be pastoral. But once... Pa- once being pastoral took the, or rather replaced being dogmatic, again, we're talking about principle of evidence, then really anybody who is smiley got a pass. And so look at, look, I'm not, I mean, I hate when people only look at Cardinal McCarrick because he's so easy to scapegoat when there's so many other problems besides McCarrick. But let's look at him. Why was he given a pass along? Because he was so amazingly charming, Yeah. you know, and that's, that's something very new in the hierarchy that we look to who is charming as, as bishops to say they're good, not who is teaching the articulated faith and morals, inerrant scripture, saying the hard truths, right? And that's one reason why narcissists have been able to climb the ladder in the hierarchy. Um, they might have really trashed uh, like individual relationships, but the narcissist is able to climb the ladder in a corporate setting precisely because they are so good at lying, cheating, stealing, and manipulating. And so when you came out with infiltration, people were like, Taylor Marshall's disobedient. And then the book, and they're like, oh wait, he loves the church. And then they're like, oh, but it was really badly sourced. And then it's like, oh, well, there's three quotes on every page that are like highly footnoted. And then like, uh, you know, so really what you show in, in an infiltration narcissistic behavior. I met Cardinal McCarrick in 2006 before I knew about James Bryan and all that. And I was impressed by the man. He shook my hand. He looked me in the eyes. His eyes sparkled. He was kind. He was grandfatherly. And, you know, he wanted me to become a married Catholic priest because I'd been a married Episcopalian priest and he was going to help me. And I just felt warm in his presence. So now that I know the full story about his whole life and his crimes, I get it. I get how he was able to do it because he was a, I don't know, would he be a psychopath or a sociopath? He'd be a psychopath because he was very well adjusted. Yeah. And then did you notice his last public statement, which came about about a year and a half or two ago, he did an interview. He said he was the victim. See, he played himself as the victim. Yes. After all of his years of serving the church, he's the victim now. And it's just sick. Yeah. And so one of the one of the real great ways to tell this is, you know, Dinesh D'Souza has a little 30 second video on ants and termites. These are the creators versus the destroyers. And Fulton Sheen, who I wouldn't even I mean, he was a very good Orthodox bishop. I love Fulton Sheen, but he was no traditionalist. I mean, 
Archbishop Fulton Sheen did not like Archbishop Lefebvre. He was very chummy with the post-conciliar popes. Um, so I'm quoting a non-rad trad here. Towards the end of his life, he was telling these priests and bishops who were not building up but only destroying the church, he actually called them parasites on the body of Christ. Mm. Now, Fulton Sheen didn't talk like that in the 1940s about priests and bishops, right? And I'm quoting again someone who I don't think is a rad trad. This is someone who didn't like Archbishop Lefebvre, who I do love. This is someone who was very chummy with all the post-conciliar popes. I think I think Fulton Sheen died in 78 or 79. He was using terms like realizing a big chunk of the clergy was parasites on the body of Christ. And so really the big breakdown in church and state between narcissist and not narcissist is creators and destroyers. Um, if you are destroying what has been built up through apostolic tradition in doctrine, discipline, and liturgy, um, then you're continuing on the trajectory of the apostles. If you are inventing new doctrine or changing liturgy or destroying discipline, then you are one of the destroyers. It's just that simple. And you are a parasite on the body of Christ. And that's where it actually is the job of a father, a protector, and a provider to, as it says in Ephesians 6, to expose the works of darkness. So people might say, oh, Taylor Marshall's ripping on this person in the Vatican or this bishop or whatever because he's narcissistic. No, no, no. You're calling out the destroyers. You're calling out the parasites in the body of Christ, and you're fighting for the church that has actually built up, um, that, that made 2 billion converts. You know, 50 million people left the Catholic faith following Vatican II in the Western Hemisphere alone, like in the decade following it. So it's like we just have to start looking at the numbers and the stats and the and the facts of all this is our, our church is full of creators and destroyers. And unfortunately, a lot of the people that climbed to the top um, were very good at lying, cheating, stealing, and manipulating precisely because they weren't these screamers like Hitler. They were just super smiley and charming. Yeah. And that's that's the nature of a narcissist. Yeah. All right, so I think everybody out there knows a narcissist from work, from family, and other than Thanksgiving or group projects or staff meetings, we can generally avoid these people. I would like to hear your advice as a priest for mm -hmm. the people watching who are married to a narcissist. Yeah, the um, I think Dr. Romney calls it radical acceptance, and that's where you just... You maintain your boundaries to not follow them into sin, um, but if you can't leave them, you essentially do a gray rock as best you can where you go along to get along without compromise on sin. You're polite to them, um, but you don't feed their uh, diamond supply of narcissism, which is adulation. All of us love words of affection. That's fine to occasionally give words of affection, but you you can't feed their grandiosity if you're married to a narcissist. Um, and then also, again, the coal supply, according to Re Rebecca Zung, she runs a YouTube channel. Um, I think she's a, a, she's a Jewish um, divorce lawyer in Florida our age. Rebecca Zung talks about the two levels of supply. The diamond level of supply is adulation for the narcissist, and the coal, the daily level of supply is degradation. And so this is where if you're married to a narcissist, you just have to make sure they don't enter into degradation of you very much. And obviously the only way to do that is to just ignore them when they try to manipulate or degrade 
who you are. And unfortunately, if you can't leave this person, and we don't believe in divorce as Catholics, again, we believe in separation if there's violence, either psychological or or physical. Hopefully that separation is just for a time. But gray rocking them is just, you just have to have boundaries of not letting your heart, which is super sad for, for married couples. But you just can't give them the chance to enter into degradation of your own person. Yeah. And is there hope for people? I, I saw one person in the live chat. And by the way, I'm... I, I, the live chat and the comments below are, are really helpful to this and would love to hear your feedback on the show. But one person said, I used to be a huge narcissist myself, but over time, I think they said, you know, Christ help me. Is yeah. there, if you're married to a narcissist or you are a narcissist or you're a child, I'm seeing some people saying my son's a narcissist, my daughter's a narcissist. Yeah. Is there hope for them or are they just screwed? They're just perpetual no, narcissists. There's hope. Even even Dr. Romani in the secular environment, she's sort of the worldwide expert on this, who's involved in clinical psychology and actually runs a clinic, has had people come to her um, and say, I want to, I want to stop this, mm -hmm. you know. And that's where if you kind of rewind this podcast and listen to those 10, people can actually enter into that. Get to a nursing home, get out of your mind, realize you're not the center of the world. Um, I have a friend and she does, she's a psychologist for, uh, girls who've been trafficked and for Marines out on the West coast. And I said to her once, what's, what's the best way to get happy? And she goes, just turn off social media. And she, you know, I think most people hear that and they think, oh, girls who've been trafficked because of, you know, bullying and sex and all that stuff or the Marines, you know, um, it can become like. I mean, there's all this stuff of like porn. I mean, all this stuff of like porn and bullying and stuff. She didn't even mean porn and bullying. She just meant purely get off social media and you're going to be happier in life regardless of the big issues like bullying and porn and stuff, you know. So if you turn off social media and you go work in a nursing home, that's a good start. If you if you start being able to apologize to somebody once a week, there's a really good chance that your narcissism is just going to get trashed, you know. You're going to trash your own narcissism if you can start apologizing once a week, if you start going to confession once a week. Stop making excuses for your lives. That's a huge part is narcissists. They always have an excuse for their lives. Um, and then another another point is um, to have, like I said, self-deprecatory humor. If Learn learn to laugh at yourself. That's, that's one of the best ways to stop being a narcissist because we always – all of us do a dozen silly things a day. And we should be able to laugh at ourselves for that. That's another great way to stop being a narcissist. So I think there is, I think there is hope. Um, and that's what's so great about being Catholic is like we require confession. And if you look at the old school rules on confession, this is not a psychology session where you come and you give all the reasons why you did your sins. Right. In a traditional confession, you say – your state in life, how long it's been, you number and name your mortal sins, and if you want, you name your venial sins. You don't get into like, but I had to do this because right. my husband is just so annoying. Right. That's that's not how you make a traditional confession. You say your sins, and if you, you know, one, that actually makes very short confessions, so it gets the line to move faster. <laughs> but But two, when you avoid making excuses, you're actually taking responsibility for your life, and a lying, cheating, stealing, manipulating... Uh, entitled narcissist can never name their sins without excuses. There's mm -hmm. always a reason. This is why I said earlier, the end justifies the means. If you can start making confessions without excuses, you're just going to trash the narcissism in your own life. Right. Yeah. If, I think if you're thinking, well, I had to steal that, but 
I'm the victim yeah. or I had to look at pornography because, or I had to mm -hmm. commit adultery because. Yep. We all have, yeah. The, every single one of us has a reason for every sin we do. It's irrelevant. We're still called by the blood of Jesus to conquer it and to move on, you know? Yeah. That's deep. I mean, that's, that's a hard hitting pastoral advice there. You're being very, it, it makes you're being very pastoral. I think most of us priests, when we hear confessions full of excuses versus ones without excuses, I'm not that it's about what I think, but I'm extremely honored when I hear even the big fish in confession. If they come and they say the worst sins without excuses, look at how Jesus treated people like Mary Magdalene and Peter. Peter denied him. Mary Magdalene led this, uh, you know, pretty bad life and whatever. Always had an excuse for what they did, right? Where the greatest saints, the if you look at how our Lord treats sinners who don't have excuses, it's immediate forgiveness, right? And they're able to follow Him. Maybe in some sense, the Pharisees were the very first um, narcissists that, that it's always subterfuge. It's always these games and stuff. Mm. And you know, our Lord says, "Do not throw pearls to swine." And I think in some sense, obviously, swine. We don't we don't believe in double predestination as Catholics. God hasn't wound some people out as up as the elect and others as the reprobate. We believe God wills all to be saved. But I think when Christ says, don't throw pearls to swine, what he means is some people have made themselves swine insofar as they're not ready to hear the truth. And this is where these Christian boundaries come in, that if someone's not ready to hear the truth, then you just have to wait. And that's where this gray rocking comes in. You just act polite. You don't feed them. You don't argue with them because that can be supply for the narcissist. And you wait until they're actually ready to say, I'm sorry for what I've done. And then then you can give them the pearls of your life, you know? For people who are coming in late, and then I kind of miss it at the beginning too, can you go over the gray rocking again and, and why it's yeah. called that? So for the person in your life who's a narcissist, if you can't go no contact with them, Dr. Romney describes gray rocking as being so boring and so polite that you don't give them anything extraordinary towards the side of adulation and you don't give them anything interesting enough to argue with if you don't argue with the narcissist who always wants to fight with you they're eventually going to move on to a different source of supply and at first this is this comes from dr Romney again the number one i think she's the greatest expert they're going to they're going to enter a rage if you you're going to look snotty you're going to look aloof if you gray rock somebody but the person if you can't kick the narcissist completely out of your life and you gray rock them eventually that narcissist will have a bit of rage against you and then they're going to move on to other sources of supply. So again, this is for the neighbor, the coworker, the extended family member. We're not talking like a spouse. Uh, we're also not talking about someone you can easily cut out of your life. We're talking about that middle of the road people you can't really get rid of, but you can, you can stop being the victim of that narcissist if you gray rock them, if you can't go full no, no contact. Right. Okay. That's and again, the reason that's not, I know that sounds anti-Christian, but again, remember the two bookends we set up, the Christian's not called to vengeance, but he's also not called to be a doormat, right? And, and that's, that's really hard for secularists to understand of us Christians. I mean, people might say, well, what do you think happened on the cross? Yeah, but Jesus never overturned any of his convictions. That's actually what led the cross. And he passed through the hands of the Pharisees dozens, well, maybe not dozens, but probably a dozen times, maybe more. He passes through the hands of the Pharisees um, because his time had not come yet. 
but he never compromised. He always condescends in mercy, but he never compromises in the truth. So yeah, he does end up on the cross, just like 70 million martyrs have ended up dead for their convictions, but we never compromise on our convictions. And that's what the narcissist always wants the Christian to do, is to compromise on their convictions. And this is where, like I said, G.K. Chesterton said, we are called to have hard hearts and soft, sorry, hard heads and soft hearts. The narcissist always has the opposite. Right. They never forgive. They're never, they're never kind. Um, they can be kind occasionally to, to manipulate you, um, but their convictions is their own ego, never their own evidence. Mm-hmm. What can we do to make sure our children are not narcissists? So Dr. Romani's main thing when uh, she got a, she and her husband got a divorce, but they, um, they said before they had gotten divorced, I guess they're still on good terms. The one thing they both agreed on to make sure their kids don't end up narcissists is to make sure that they live in empathy. And that's where I kind of translated that as Catholic to, um, to live out the, uh, make sure your kids are living out the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Um, you know, both Father Ripperger and Jordan Peterson talk about making sure your kids don't end up in this risk-averse culture, and the lockdowns really hurt this. Um, I don't think Father Ripperger or Jordan Peterson would like want 10-year-olds to go free solo climbing up rocks and stuff, so I'm hesitant to say this next thing because it would make us legally liable. I don't, I don't know the parameters of Jordan Peterson and Father Ripperger on this, but I'll just say for myself, in this really risk-averse culture— um, Again, I'm not saying people should have their 12-year-olds go do free solo climbing and stuff. So, you know, your kids have to take risks, though. Father Ripper even talks about that as being central to keeping purity, actually, for young boys, is you have to be able to take risks. So I think um, one of the important things for kids is get them outside, um, not on the TV, not on video games, and uh, take some calculated risks. Maybe that's the word that won't get us in trouble legally. Taylor is make sure that you're getting getting some calculated risks. You know, go um, go rafting down some rapids with the right leaders and stuff like that. Go climbing, but with ropes. Don't go free solo climbing. I mean, um, take some risks in life is a great way to make sure your kids don't become narcissists. Take them hunting. Mm-hmm. And how do we get them to be empath- empathetic? I mean, how do we? I don't know. As, as a father yeah. of eight kids, I think that's a hard hard thing to teach like i have kids that seem by nature to have empathy mm-hmm. and then i have kids that are less like that and i'm like what did i do wrong or they just like this i mean how how yeah. do we as parents do that some people some kids will never get shaken out of that until they have suffering in their own lives and that's mm. that's okay that's just how life shakes out um i think when we talk about empathy everyone's mind goes immediately to like the homeless person, the person on the street. But one of the things to realize is there's a lot of people who are actually poor around you that are living in apartments, that are living as single moms, single dads, people who aren't actually on the streets. And so one thing, you know, this holiday time would be to find out who those people are in your neighborhood and bring them gift baskets and stuff. Get your kids out of their own mind. And and it's fine to take care of the homeless too. But America's chalked full of poor people who are living in, um, you know, cold apartments, single moms, single dads, sometimes downtown, sometimes even in the suburbs. Um, and then ask them, hey, can can we bring you stuff? Some people are that's going to be embarrassing for them. They're going to say no. Other people will, will say, yeah, you know, we really could use a gift basket this Christmas. Um, that'd be awesome. Hey, can I bring my kids 
too, and they they want to bring your kids some gifts. You're like obviously that could sound pretty self righteous, but if someone says, "Yeah, we've had a hard, we've had a real hard winter. We'd we'd love to meet your kids." You know, that's that's one way to get them out of it. Yeah, serving, serving exactly. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about serving people is. I don't want this to sound narcissistic, but there is a certain pleasure in serving people. Oh yeah. And I exactly. think when a young person experiences that, they realize, okay, there is a joy in life that's not just about me getting stuff for Christmas or whatever. There's actually right. there's there's something enjoyable, something fulfilling in helping other people. Mm-hmm. And I guess yeah. the earlier you can get them to realize that, the better. You have to get out of yourself. That's what was so devastating about these lockdowns is it locked everyone mm-hmm. within their own minds again. And we just, we have to get out and uh, get out of our minds. Yeah. Any other good questions in the live chat there? And there's so many good questions. We could go forever. I don't want to keep you. We're at an hour oh, and a half here. I'm okay going. If you got a few more, I'm me, good. Want me to pull some questions from the yeah, audience? Yeah, let's do it. Let's okay, great. Going. So if you're in the audience, you're in the live chat. Uh, you leave a question and as I always say, make sure you use a question mark because there's so many of them. There's over a thousand mm-hmm. people right now. Um, so if there's no question mark, I won't see it. Um, but if you have a question for Father Dave Nix, um, maybe as it relates to your personal life, maybe don't get too uh, personal on it. <laughs> yeah. But um, don't, don't confess someone else's sins. Exactly. In your life. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, OK, so here we go. Bring in the questions. And uh, we'll see what we can do. Um, Autumn J just makes a, a point here. My parents just say, how would you feel if that was you to put yourself in other people's shoes? And I think that's a good, a yeah. good example. I know I'll use one for my own family. One of my sons, we had a big piece of glass that needed to be thrown out. And when the trash men came, they dropped the glass and there were shards of glass everywhere. And I told my son to clean it up and he cleaned it up like 90%, but there's no glass on the road. So then we had some workmen at the house working on a toilet. These are lower income guys, right? Mm -hmm. I bring them outside and I show them the truck, which is backed up right where the glass is. I said, how much do you think those guys, the plumbers make an hour? I don't know, 15 hour, 20 an hour. I said, okay, so if they work here for 10 hours, let's just say they would have 200 bucks. I was like, if they back up right here over this glass, what's going to happen to maybe their tire? Well, it could get a hole in it. I was like, so he'd have to work all day on toilets to replace the tire because the tire is like 200 bucks. And then he was like, oh, yeah. And I was like, so you, it's important that you clean all the glass up so that doesn't yeah. happen to him. Or it could be my car or your mom's car or the neighbor's car. He's like, yeah. So he cleaned it all up and he did a good job. I wanted to walk him through empathy for a guy who's having to work 15, 20 hours on, on toilets. If he doesn't clean up the glass and that guy pops a tire, man, what's he, he going to go tell his kids you don't get Christmas gifts because I had to buy a new tire? Mm-hmm. That's right. And I think too many people see services like not manly. Uh, one of the things I love about Jocko Willing's book, um, Extreme Ownership, and the one that came after that, I mean – He's talking about one of their deployments in, uh, I think it's Romani, Iraq, and they had just had a, you know, SEAL, his SEAL team had a real rough day, and then they came back, and all these Marines were doing all these sandbagging, and either Jocko or Leif, I think it was Leif Babin, said, I know you guys are tired, but we're going to jump in there, and some of the guys didn't want to do it, but they all did jump in, and that one, like, 
a huge advance with the Marines to see a SEAL team jump in for something basic like sandbagging in Iraq there. And so I think it's important, you know, that's awesome your son saw that, but then to teach people to be proactive in situational awareness and service to, to be like, hey, don't just do what you're asked, but scan what actually needs to be done. If, you, if you're proactive in your situational awareness and being aggressive in serving, that's going to um, be a sign of real leadership. And it's really hard to be a narcissist with that because, once again, you're outside of yourself mm. and you're looking to the needs of others. I found that really fascinating to be in a book on on leadership, corporate leadership written by some Navy SEALs on um, on being proactive in service. Look for what actually needs to be done. Awesome. All right. So here's a, a question from Sunny Day and Sunny Day asks, have you ever had a narcissist drain you? So this is the kind of the idea that narcissists are like sucking energy like vampires. Oh, yeah. I mean, the reason I the reason I got good at this stuff is the reason I studied all of this stuff is because I tried to engage narcissists with false accusations in my life numerous times. And then I realized they don't care about the truth on any of this. And this is where I just had to get good at realizing who's asking me questions because they're actually seeking the truth and who's asking me questions because they just want to like trip me up and make fun of me on social media or bring false accusations or whatever. So um, it's happened numerous times um, in my life that I got drained. And that's where, not to brag, but <laughs> I'm narcissist proof now. I'm, I'm a narcissist immune person. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, most of the people who've done this in my life are on the left people online, but I know two narcissistic traditional priests and they can't figure out why they, I don't think they understand that they can't manipulate me. Cause I just, I just cut them off or I go, I, I, I gray rock them. Mm-hmm. I'm not a jerk, but I, uh, I don't engage them. I don't argue with narcissists in my life anymore. And it seems cold, but it's because I've learned, you know, if someone wants to sit down and say, you, you know, and I'll invite anybody out there in the left who wants to debate any things that I've put on my blog or, or any of the controversial things in my life, if they want to come on my podcast with their, you know, drop the anonymity and discuss the evidence. Anybody can come discuss the controversial parts of my life, um, on my podcast, but they will never do that because they don't care about the evidence. So if someone is like, Hey, when you said this, this hurt my feelings. Great. Let's sit down and talk about it. Or, you know, when you said this about the lockdowns, I think this is false. Okay. Like Terry Barber and I were having a conversation a few days ago and he humbly proved me wrong. And I was like, Oh, Terry, you're right, man. I'm sorry. You're right. You know? So if someone shows it to me, I'll totally say, yeah, man, you're like, you got the evidence. I'm sorry. And you're right. But if someone's just manipulating me, they're just, I don't argue with them. And that's why I'm, I'm totally narcissistic proof is because I just don't let myself get manipulated anymore. So it takes, it takes a little bit of getting burned several times to really realize the difference between someone who's genuinely hurt and telling you how you hurt, they hurt your feelings and you have to apologize to them versus someone who is never going to be satisfied with any answer they get and they're just wasting your time. Takes, it takes some time to realize the difference between those two people. Yep. Good. Sarah Ray asks, if you're married to a narcissist, wouldn't it be by default considered psychological abuse? So that's where I kind of said it twice um, as far as like the uh, disclaimers on this thing that like we as Catholics don't believe in divorce. Um, I was texting my friend Layla Mill yesterday. She's like the queen of anti-annulment stuff. Uh, I was asking for prayers coming on this show. Um, I, 
I definitely agree with Layla in the in her push against this annulment culture that we're in. Um, we do believe that you can separate for violence. Like I said, violence can be either um, physical or psychological. But the you know this is a sliding scale on itself. And so whoever Sarah's asking for, whether it's herself or her friend or something else, like I obviously don't know the level of manipulation to give an answer from here. And, and there's just too many permutations and contingencies of answers that would just get us in trouble. So there's, there's thousands of answers to that one, right. you know? And I guess that raises the question, can you have, you know, small time narcissists and big time narcissists? I mean, is, yeah. there, is there, could we say that there's like a spectrum, just like an autism, there's a spectrum, yes. there's a spectrum of narcissism, narcissism. Yes, that's right. And, and, and this is where you just have to notice, like, at what level is the exploitation happening? Mm -hmm. um, if someone's never able to apologize and they're constantly manipulating you, then um, then you're dealing with someone who's probably uh, actually has narcissistic personality disorder. And that's that's really destructive. Yeah. Yeah. Where, as I said at the beginning, too, I mean, really every one of us, unless there's someone in the unitive stage of prayer out there listening to this. And even they, we all have temptations to all of this because remember Father Ripperger's show, it really shows, or his his channel shows that the mindset of the demons is entirely narcissistic. And anytime we're moving in that direction of pride, manipulation, excuses for our lives, self-victimization, um, being the perpetrator and making ourselves to be the victim, we all have temptations to do all that. So really, Every one of us, except for like the saints, John the Baptist, Mary and Joseph, are probably on this narcissistic spectrum. It's just you really don't, according to Dr. Romani, you don't have narcissistic personality disorder until it's a handicap in your life, until it mm -hmm. is harming your interpersonal relationships. Okay. And again, that's what's so crazy. You can climb the corporate ranks, the hierarchical ranks of the Catholic Church with this. But normally you're you're called by the psychology school you don't really have narcissistic personality disorder until it's handicapping your personal relationships. That's sort of the threshold in the, in the psychological, psychological community for that. Nice. All right, let's do one more question. This will be the last one. This is Vanessa. She says, how do you get over severe trauma from a psychopath? And we could add to that narcissist sociopath. How do, if you've been deeply wounded, what's the path? Yeah. So, the first thing is if you can keep that narcissist out of your life, you do that. If you can't, you gray rock them, which is you don't feed them uh, with the supply of, of whatever they need to manipulate you. Um, and then, you know, one of the things you can do is help other people. Like I looked at these different, you know, false accusations online in my life. As I said, people were accusing me of the very things they had committed and I was falling into self-victimization, which is actually very narcissistic. And then I realized I need to actually start teaching people what I've learned. That's why I put together these 10 things. Instead of like saying, woe is me for, um, you know, like I, I reported probable misconduct four years ago and I was called crazy in the, in the Catholic media. That's actually like perfect example of gaslighting that brought exactly. me from probable to, to, to like, oh, that's, that's pretty good evidence there. What I reported was was real since I was called crazy in mainstream Catholic media for reporting misconduct. And so I spent a lot of time licking my own wounds. And then I, I started putting together these 10 things to say, here's how I'm going to help people 
who are themselves being gaslit. This is I'm going to help people who are themselves being falsely accused. And so I think one of the best ways is what you've learned um, through the psychopath, you should be able to teach other people. And it really makes you um, like very, very strong. The, this whole world of uh, narcissist immune people, like I took some notes from Father or Dr. Romani's channel, and she said, um, narcissist immune people, they're, I, I was actually following some of the comments. They're confident and self-assured in their abilities and limitations. They do things they love and work and hobbies. Narcissist immune people hold on to their reality really well. They they are just so unshakable. I mean, so really one of the great things, Vanessa, that's come from this is if you haven't been shaken by gaslighting, if you can still hold to your reality, which, again, as we Catholics believe, um, you know, truth is a coordination between evidence and the intellect. If this is real, then you hold to that and it actually makes you an extremely strong person because now no one can shake you in your convictions. If you've actually powered through the manipulation of an of a psychopath, then and you're still, you know, you still have your bearings about you. This has made you an extremely strong person. And this is really the great news of, of how much narcissism is in society is if you hold your guns on your convictions as a Catholic, as a Christian through all of this, and you make it through this, you're almost invincible against whatever's coming in the world, um, trying to shake us from our beliefs. Um, you have new boundaries. You understand boundaries as a Christian. And and hopefully, Vanessa, you're at the point where you're just unafraid of narcissists. Um, you have self-preservation. Um, and you can love yourself really in the right way. I mean, obviously, there's self-love for narcissists. But Jesus never would have told us, um, love others as you love yourself if you're not supposed to love yourself. So one of the great things that comes from all of this is you can learn the healthy self-love um, in this. One of the last thing I'll say on this, you dump the enablers. You know, there, there are non-toxic people in your life that even if they don't have narcissistic personality disorder themselves, um, they, they might still encourage you to be in a relationship with narcissists or psychopaths. You just have to sideline them. And then if you're, you know, if you have a friend who's in a relationship with a narcissist, point out the patterns. Don't call out the narcissist himself. The really best thing you can do for anybody who's involved in a relationship with a psychopath or sociopath or a narcissist is to say to that person, the victim, how can I help? Not, you know, you don't go engage the narcissist because you're just going to lose the argument. Say to the victim, how can I help? Awesome. That's good advice. All right, well, we'll wrap up things here, Father. I'd love for you to, to end us with a blessing. And I want to encourage everyone to check out uh, Father's work. I think maybe the best way to find your podcast and your writings is to go to padreperegrino.org. Is that the best place? That would work. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Because Thanks. Father has a great podcast. He does tons of traditional catechesis. So if you're thinking, man, I don't know my Catholic faith. I really want to get a traditional formation. I never had that or I did have it. And I forgot. I really think in the podcasting world, Father Dave Nix is where it's at. So I would encourage you to listen to his podcast and you can find, and he also writes great articles and, and blogs over at PadrePeregrino.org. I listen to him and follow him. So definitely uh, check him out and check out the podcast, especially anything you want to add or promote or no thanks for your time dr marshall i really appreciate it thanks for reaching out to me a couple months ago or when it was a month ago and asked me to come on and i know i'm a controversial figure but that means a lot to me that uh you take the hits with me that's what soldiers do in the battle so yeah. thanks i appreciate it awesome 
Well, great. Well, everybody, thanks for watching. If you haven't liked this video, make sure you give it a thumbs up. I don't know if YouTube is like super psyched about promoting priests talking about narcissism, but you can help by leaving a comment and giving a thumbs up. And of course, share this video on Facebook. I'm sure a lot of people need to hear what Father discussed today. And the only way they're going to hear that is if you share it. So you can share it on whatever you use, Twitter, Facebook, just get it out there. And then if you're new, I'd love for you to subscribe and hit the bell and listen to future episodes. Father, will you close us down here with a, a blessing and a prayer, whatever you want to do? Sure. How should we close it? Mm, well, we should pray. I, there's a lot of people hurting out there. I feel like yeah. we should pray for them. So, okay. I'll let you, you're the priest. You. All right. Let's do um, a Hail Mary and, I'll, and then I'll just give a blessing in Latin. Perfect. And we'll just pray for uh, all of our conversion from our tendencies to narcissism um, to generous lives in Christ of curing, curing the cross. In nomine Patris, Sefidit, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus nunc, et et mortis nostre. Amen. And then the next two saints on the calendar, Saint Bibiana. Pray for us. Saint Francis Xavier. Pray for us. Dominus vobiscum. Et cum spiritu tuo. Benedictio de omnipotentis, Patris et Fili, et Spiritus Sancti, descendet super vos, et maniat semper. Amen. Amen. All right, Father, thanks for being on today. Everybody pray your rosary every day. Find a traditional Latin Mass. Father says a traditional Latin Mass. Get good formation. Get to confession. Catechize yourself and your kids. And until next time, remember our Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless. Godspeed. And Father Dave Nix, thank you. Thanks for having me, Dr. Marshall.